0: I don't know Instagram TikTok challenge uh, where couples would close their eyes and answer some questions uh, and point at the couple they thought uh, answered the question or was whatever. So check out this video. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Who initiated the first
1: Who initiated the first kiss?. Uh-huh. Who apologizes first after a fight? <laughs> who was the funny one? <laughs> who was <is> more romantic? <laughs> who was the most patient? <laughs> who was a better cook? <laughs> who said, I love you first? We take longer to get ready in the morning. (laughs) 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 Who is grumpier in the morning?
0: Oh, God's people said amen, right? <laughs> Truth be told, that cookie question wasn't on there until I added it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Anyways, if you want a list of those questions, it's on the, uh, on the weekly rundown and go have fun uh, and put it on your social media and whatnot. Uh, those are just fun questions. We shouldn't take that too deep. Uh, and so right afterwards, I was like, Ava, you don't see me as I see me. And oh my gosh, all the air got let out. No, like that would be a very deep question for something as silly as, as what we just went through and as what we just saw. But if I wanted to go to a wildly deep place, couldn't I ask that question? Do you see me as I see me? Do I see you as you see you? It's a question that would be a reasonable ask. And I think that is the premise of what we are talking about Today and ultimately in this series, Jesus, I know him because there's so many people celebrating Christmas but forgetting the Christ in Christmas. And so, we want to look at in this series the Jesus that we know to be Jesus of the Christmas story. And so, the question we want to wrestle with today is a deep one Do we see Jesus as Jesus sees Jesus? Do we see Jesus as Jesus sees Jesus? Last week, we looked at Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so Jesus is unique. He is the only one ever to walk this earth that can fit the role that Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's. It can only be true of him. So there are things that we know of Jesus that cannot be true of anybody else. He is legitimately unique in that manner. So to think things of Jesus that can be thought of other people, isn't that at some level degrading in a lesser than type view? And so, do we see Jesus as Jesus sees Jesus? We're gonna be in Luke chapter nine today. You can go there in your Bibles. You can Google Luke nine ESV. It'll also be up on the screen. But Jesus is going to look at his disciples and ask that kind of a question. What's the word on the streets? And so we want to wrestle with this scene and ask ourselves, Jesus is going to say things about himself. Do we see Jesus as Jesus sees Jesus? So Luke chapter 9, it says this. Now it happened uh, that he was praying alone. Uh, The disciples were with him. So Jesus is kind of with the disciples, but he's kind of off to the side. He's praying, and then he comes kind of back to the group, and he asks them in, a, in this moment of prayer, who do the crowds, popular opinion, the multitude, what's the word on the street, uh, what, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say, others that one of the prophets of old has has risen. So he asks this question, and, and they're able to give, well, kind of what the, what the multitude is saying. It's, it's not uncommon for necessarily for a leader to ask those that are beneath him, what's the war on the street? Because human nature is, you don't talk to the main person, you talk to the people that surround the main person. And so Jesus asks a question that I don't think many of us would have the guts to go into work tomorrow and ask. <laughs> what's everybody saying about me? because we might not like the answer. <laughs> but Jesus asks that. But think about who he's asking. 12 disciples. Oh, well, do you know who the 12 disciples are? They come from different tribes. And I use that in modern language. You get a zealot. <laughs> hey, a zealot wants to overthrow the Roman government. <laughs> hey, for all your people that want to throw, throw, uh, take over Rome, your tribe, what's your tribe saying about me? Because they're obviously influencing your view. Oh, oh! How about a how about a Roman? uh, How about a a Jewish tax collector, which would be very friendly with Rome, uh, because he can get money off the Jewish people and for Rome, he's playing both sides. Hey, what does your tribe say? What's the word on the street for you who love Rome? Hey, what's the word on the street for you fishermen? What's the word on the street for you average, everyday, ordinary people? What is your tribe? Saying, how might your tribe be influencing how you view me? What's the word on the street? And so they they all answer in unison of sorts, not maybe not like word for word, but they all kind of speak up and hey, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets of old. These are all reasonable, reasonable in their context, reasonable answers you can be reasonably wrong. <laughs> the word on the street are a bunch of people that can say things confidently and be, still be confidently wrong. They have their own theories. Jesus is feeding a whole bunch of people. He's healing a whole bunch of people. And so with somebody doing such amazing things, it leaves humanity to draw their own theories as to what might happen. Be happening to draw their own theories of what it must like, be like to be the messiah why he is the messiah we live in a world that loves to create theories <laughs> it's why many people don't think we landed on the moon <laughs> maybe i don't know jillian i debated all the time uh, apparently she was there anyways i digress my, my, I'm off on, uh, anyway, my, here's my real illustration for this moment, <laughs> is I get the privilege of talking with cops. Those that are in the, in the in that career path right now or those that are retired and whatnot. <laughs> cops have been in the media for a while, haven't they? People draw a whole bunch of theories as to what it must be like. And, and I unfortunately can, can relate to the fact of like, man, there are many bad pastors. <laughs> that give pastors a bad name? Aren't there many cops that give, many bad cops that give good cops a bad name? And we draw these theories. And I, and I, and, I, and like, I'm, it's so foreign to me. I mean, I grew up with the jokes. And I know, like, I've heard people call a cop a, a pig. And I'm like, that, that sounds degrading. And I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, I, I've heard people, like, I've heard people say, and you watch those cop shows where they're like, listen, bud, I pay your salary. <laughs> Has anybody in the history of mankind ever gotten out of a ticket by looking at a cop and saying, I pay your salary. (laughs) You know what? You're right, boss. Let's let this one go. (laughs) Pretty sure they got a bigger ticket. (laughs) And I grew up, I'm sure there's a joke in here about donuts or whatnot, and we can all draw our conclusions. What does our tribe say about police officers? But I have the privilege of talking to police officers to their face, having a one-on-one conversation, and one one officer told me this week. He's like, Jason. Now, what I wish people knew is that I see dead bodies every single week. <laughs> that I go to homes where I now all of a sudden I'm giving marriage counseling, <laughs> solving disputes, locking people up, ripping families apart. These are things that I do on the daily, <laughs> and then I have to go home, kiss my daughter, and watch TV with my wife as if nothing happened. <laughs> And my 30-year career can be defined by something that happened in the heat of the moment, one moment, one moment, where there's a whole bunch of chaos and I I make a split-second decision. And now my whole career is defined by that split-second decision. One officer told me, Jason, you wanna know why so many officers struggle with PTSD? It's because the average human being deals with six traumatic events in their life, their whole life. Do you know how many traumatic events a police officer handles, experiences in their career? On average, over 600. And what does our tribe say? What does our tribe say? My point is that we have to speak to physical people, ignore our tribe, perhaps, and speak to people and start drawing our own conclusions. And so Jesus is driving us to that place. No, hey, no it's not, hey, what, is, what does your tribe say about what does your tribe say about me? What does your tribe say about me? And he's driving us to a place to say, "Hey, how about you think for yourself and think about who I am?" And he's going to go to that place of, "What do you say about me?" Because there's a word on the street. <laughs> Jesus himself is in the the religious hall of fame. All the world religions acknowledge Jesus. They all do. And they'll say like, well, he was a good teacher. No, he's so much more. He was a prophet. Oh, he was so much more than that. So he's in the religious hall of fame. And and, and so he's, he's known, but it comes back to, what do you say? There's three questions on the screen right now, and if we think about them for a second, we can land on different places for each of these questions. Who's Jesus? Okay, who's Jesus to you? Who do you want Jesus to be? Christian maturity is growing to the point where we can answer each one of those questions the exact same way. Immaturity is answering those questions differently. Who's Jesus to you? Who's Jesus? Well, he's Lord. Who's Jesus to you? He's still Lord. Who do you want Jesus to be when you're challenged to follow Jesus? Lord. And so Jesus drives to the, the, the disciples and he, and he takes, he looks them in the face and emphatically asks this question. Uh, in, the, in the Greek, this is, this, the emphasis is on the you and the you is plural. He's looking at all of them and he says to them, Who do you, you, say that I am? Where before they all answered the word on the street, now only one of them is willing to take a step and say, Peter. Answers, the Christ of God, the promised one, the deliverer, the one that all the scriptures have been, has been pointing to. Uh, we've been reading Isaiah at the beginning of, in this Christmas series. Isaiah has many prophecies. Peter is saying, you are Christ of God. You are the one that everything has been pointing towards. You are the promised one. Why do the disciples answer differently? Why, do, why might I answer differently about what, uh, about what it's like to be a police officer? Because they have spent time. They're not going off of just what the word on the street is. The disciples, what makes a disciple a disciple? What makes you a disciple, a follower of Jesus? What makes me a follower of Jesus? Yes, it's our time spent with Jesus, but you know what else it is? It's that we can think for ourselves. It's not, we're not informed by the world. It's like, you and me have to deal with Jesus and Jesus alone. And so Jesus, as he's talking, as he well, who do you say? You are Christ the God. Jesus is now having to deal with, well, is that your tribe's definition? Because there's many right now that think that, okay, Jesus, I know you're gonna save us from our sins. That's great. But also, I, I emotionally want you to overthrow the Roman government. So can it be a both And? And so I see you as a, as a both and. As I was wrestling through this, an article came up this week. I was Googling and it was called uh, The Paradox of Information. More data is making us dumber. And I read it and I was like, amen. <laughs> I deal with humanity day in and day out. And I'm not gonna call us dumb, but okay. I'll read you the article, okay. Uh, and it said, simply say, here was the guy's uh, conclusion uh, at the start. Uh, access to more data can lead, uh, lead to dumber decisions. That's right, your smartphone is making you stupid. <laughs> like, amen, amen. He goes on to tell a, uh, an example of like getting to an intersection and uh, a mom uh, was on her phone and uh, with a child in a booster seat and she blew through the intersection, stopped like uh, at the very end, realizing that she had missed the red light, looking up and then got mad at everybody else <laughs> uh, and went on her way. Sometimes our smartphones are making us dumber. And so he concludes uh, four things. From, this is from psychology, uh, psychology Today, and it's also on the weekly rundown. His, here's his conclusions, four conclusions. When our mind is overloaded with information, we lose the capacity to critically filter information from the environment. We default to our feelings over facts and can miss out on what is most important. No, we never do that. No, come on. Second, our mind is lazy. Rational thought is hard. Emotions are effortless. So our minds go to what doesn't take any thought. It doesn't take work for us to be emotional. God made us emotional. And so we cling to that instead of thinking. His third point is humor and emotions are contagious and non-conscious. The ideas that spread are often those that, don't, that we don't have to think about, despite the fact that as what is often best for us, we have to think through. We simply don't take time to think for ourselves. His last point is that strong emotions disengage logic. When you are highly aroused emotionally, uh, you, are, and you become overwhelmed and lose sight and access to logical thinking. So as we, as we continue on in this talk, can I encourage you to put your cell phones down for a second? To, to not, not to start Googling and not to, not to go onto social media, not to be informed there and informed there or informed by your tribe, because here's the reality of it. You are a human being. And as a human being, you and I will stand before God, not with your tribe. And you will have all of eternity to think about what you do with this very Moment, Because that crazy YouTube video that informs you on who Jesus is, the creator won't be there when you're standing before the creator. That blog that you read that's informing how you view Jesus, that author will not be there when you are standing before God Almighty. Because there's a question that no matter our economic status, no matter our social status, no matter any element of our status, (laughs) There's a question that every human being at some point is going to have to answer in the face of God. Who do you say that I am? And it's gonna have to be more than a factual answer because even the demons can give a factual answer. It's gonna have to be when our emotions, our submission, and our knowledge line up. We've given God our lives. We've done something with the information that we know. I'm asking you to think for yourselves, investigate, and then come to a conclusion of who is Jesus to you, and then give your life and act accordingly. Because I know E equals MC squared, but I could not teach that to a soul. (laughs) It's knowledge to the point of action. And this is why Jesus uh, goes on and, and he says, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to No one. It's kind of weird. The Son of Man, now he clarifies. You have this view, Christ the God. You have this view, but do you know what it means? Because so many people can say Messiah. So many people can say Christ. So many people can sing, oh, holy night, joy to the world. So many people can sing that, but you know the beautiful truth. Because here's the beautiful truth. The Son of Man must Suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Hey, disciples, be, okay, yes, great. You answered uh, Christ the God of God. You've answered that, great. Now, before you go telling other people that I am going to be this military type leader, that you're gonna incite this revolt because I didn't come to incite the magnitudes. I came to die for the multitudes. I came to die for humanity. Before you go with Christ the God, sharing things, let me tell you what we mean by Christ of God. That he is unique and may not fit your agenda. That he must die. That he must come back to life. You know what's great about that term, about uh, in the Greek when it talks about like uh, that I must rise again? It's written in a form Without, without saying the, uh, the subject of the verb. And so with that, Jesus is saying that uh, when I rise, that the person that's going to do it is the, somebody who is divine. He writes it saying, God will rise me, raise me up. That I must suffer, I must die, I must be rejected. Well, that doesn't really sound like somebody that's going to be a military leader, right? Like those things a suffering leader, uh, somebody that's going to be rejected by leadership, somebody that's going to die. Like, what good are you, Jesus, dead to us? And But then I'm going to come back to life. And so Jesus, as only Jesus can be, is the one way to God Almighty. Why? Because what is unique of Jesus is that he was truly sinless. That view can only be had of Jesus Christ the only one to ever walk this earth and live a sinless life, then makes him the only one worthy to be a sacrifice for you and I and to rise again to give us life. And the lyric that we just sang, paradise is flung wide open for you and I that place our faith in what only Jesus could do. Jesus loves you enough to die for you. Isn't that at some level a requirement of love? <laughs> I had the privilege of doing uh, weddings and, and, and marriage counseling and whatnot. And uh, you should pray for my wife because she has to sit in and she usually comes to the weddings. And so she hears the wedding sermon every single time. Uh, and so it's like I doctor it up just a little bit, but 90% of it is the exact same thing. Every single time, and so the jokes that I tell on the sermon, Ava has now heard uh, thirty thousand times, and she no longer goes. <laughs> uh, she rolls her eyes, and so like one of the things I say is uh, I talk about Adam and how Adam was put to sleep, and there was a rib taken from him, and how he made, uh, how God made woman from Adam, and then and I say, well, Adam woke up and he said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, as if to say, God, you did good, and I say it every single time, and then I look at the groom and I say, hey, when your bride came down the aisle, you didn't say bone in my bone, flesh in my flesh, because that would be really weird. And, and the crowd goes wild and everybody laughs. But Ava, she rolls her eyes every single time because she's heard that joke a thousand times. But come on, it's hilarious. Then <laughs> later on in the sermon, uh, I'll, I'll look at the groom. And, I'll, and I'll, say, I'll say this, groom, I'll use his name, obviously, uh, in a few moments, you will make pledges declaring that you would die for your bride. I am confident out of your love for her that you would. And I go on to describe God's great love for humanity, that he would give his love or his life for us, that we would know the love of God. And I say that, right? And I, and I, and I, and I, and I say that to the groom. I'm looking at the groom and I'm kind of smiling a little bit. I won't be smiling when it's Reagan. I'll be real serious. (laughs) When some little dude (laughs) wants to walk up to me and be like, can I marry your daughter? I'm like, yeah, let's go get a cold brew because we're going to have to talk. (laughs) My first question, prove to me that you love Jesus more than my daughter. My second question, prove to me that you would die for her because that is ultimately what love is all about. I'm trying to raise my daughter to hold her head up high and say, I am worth dying for. I'm trying to raise my boys to be men that know what the honor of sacrifice and laying their lives down for another. Suffering comes before glory. My Jesus exemplified that. You wanna know what you are worth? Jesus looks at you and says, you are worth dying for. On your own, eternity, glory, heaven, that door is not flung wide open because of anything you have ever done or could do. It's only because of Jesus and he looks at you and says, before glory, before we get there, suffering has to come. My Jesus suffered, why? Because of you. Because of sin. And we have to understand that sacrifice and that has to impact how we move forward. You know, what is daily surrender? One of our values here that we think every Christian should exemplify. Daily surrender is waking up every day and kind of sing, singing one of those lyrics that we sing here often. For the one who gave it all, nothing is a sacrifice. Jesus, today, show me how to be more like you so I can surrender my life over to you. And if I say, hey, this is enough, no more, Jesus, I'm not going to sacrifice anymore then we don't understand the price of our salvation. There is no too much. Here's our big thought for this experience. Jesus is nothing less than the Messiah. The, capital T, M, capital M, Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. This can only be said of Jesus. Now I know for many of us, we walk in here and this is not earth shattering. We know that. Okay, great. But how does it impact you? Can you, is it just an answer on the test or can you give your full life to the Messiah? I'm in the process of, uh, of writing a book, which is not a flex, I think it's stupid. Uh, but part of the process is trying to get endorsements. And I think endorsements are stupid because I'm a Christian and I just care about Jesus. And so I think it's a stupid thing, but it's a part of, it's a part of the process. And so I reached out to a friend of mine who's a megachurch pastor up in New Hampshire who's written books. And I was like, yo, I know this is weird. Uh, can, you, can you endorse my book? I'm like a two-year-old. And he calls me up and he says, no. And I was like, well, now I'm butthurt. Uh, so, uh, but he said no because he's like, I hate endorsements too. And so I don't ask people for endorsements. In fact, I make up all of my endorsements. And then he sent me, he texted me uh, this picture about uh, Henry Ford and Darwin and Moby Dick or whatever. He made up for his last book. He made up all these endorsements because he's like, and he put he put on it. He's like, I hate this process, and this is just to appease my publishers. And uh, you should still read the book. My wife says so, and uh, or whatever it was. It's it's a stupid thing. And so he didn't endorse it. I had another guy uh, that said to me, uh, Jason, uh, I don't have time to read. I don't have time to even look at this. Uh, But if you write something up and show it to me, I'll give you the thumbs up. I was like, well, that sounds like, huh? (laughs) Okay. And then I had plenty of other people that said, uh, said, no, like I don't really understand it or I don't really understand the subject matter. I wouldn't be comfortable endorsing something. The reason I bring that up is how many of us simply endorse Jesus? We like his post. We 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 will we will even we will even comment and give Jesus the thumbs up. But Jesus is here for the follow. Jesus is here for the the subscribe. If you're not willing to endorse Jesus, why? Is it because of what your tribe has informed you on why you shouldn't endorse Jesus? What you think of Jesus, why do you think that of Jesus? Do you know the true Jesus? And I think if we know the true Jesus, not only are we willing to endorse Jesus, We're willing to give said Jesus all of our lives because we have knowledgeable and emotional understanding of who Jesus is. And so right now, the aisle hosts are going to pass out a, a little sheet to you. My challenge to you is to take it. And if you're online, there's a PDF, uh, I think in like the, the notes or the comments or whatever, or you can email us and we'll email it to you. It's simply this. Read three chapters of Mark for the next five days and one on Saturday, because there's six. Uh, 16 chapters and uh, read Mark this week because I want you and you alone to spend time wrestling on who is Jesus because one day you alone will have to answer for that question. And so not what your blog says, not what your crazy YouTuber says, not what the podcast says, but who is Jesus to you? We should probably co- should consult the word of God to help answer that question, and so this sheet is just: Hey, Monday, read these three chapters. Tuesday, read these three chapters, and then write down what does this teach me about Jesus. And so I want to I want to close with, uh, not, or close this portion with uh, with a time of of prayer, and then the worship team is going to lead us, uh, not in a in a song, but we're going to stay seated and we're just going to reflect on what we've talked about today. So you're not going to stand for this last song. You're going to stay seated and just simply reflect. And as I go into a time of prayer, there are many in here that walked in with one view of Jesus. And it didn't align with Jesus' words that he must suffer, die, be rejected, and then rise again for all of humanity. that Jesus looks at you knowing everything you've ever done and still says, you are worth dying for. I'm inviting you in these closing moments to say yes to Jesus because he loves you enough to die for you. And when you stand before him, It's Jesus, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to go there, but you died for me and I believe it. Thank you that we get eternity together. And so we're gonna pray that. I'm gonna invite you to pray that and then we'll take time to reflect. Let's pray.